So Daniel chapter 9 and 10, we're getting into the more kind of apocalyptic, which is kind of a code name for crazy, aspects of the book of Daniel. So it all gets big and, and loud and beasts and all sorts of things. So we're going that way uh, as well today. I'm not going to sort of unpack all of that sort of stuff, but we are going to go in some pretty interesting and challenging places. So uh, get your um, big thinking caps on because apocalyptic literature is kind of a way of standing back, looking up and giving a long-term idea of something. So apocalyptic literature is, is what the book of Revelation is. So we, we have to read it with that lens on. It's kind of somebody trying to, to convey a vision that they have seen. They've had some sort of out-of-body experience or some sort of vision, some sort of special thing has happened to them and they've recorded that. And then we read that thousands of years later and, and do our best to make sense of what that person had experienced, what they had seen, and the truth that is in it. So truth is not always empirical. It's not always one plus one equals two. There can be different sorts of truth. And so this truth that comes out of this text is timeless. I think it is anyway. So it's something that we can grab a hold of and use, and it's incredibly challenging. So I'd like to prepare you for today's challenge. It is going to be some hard-going uh, calls for self-reflection today. I certainly found it uncomfortable while I was preparing it, so I'm sure that I will pass that on to you because I like to share good things that I find. Are you ready, church? Woo, here we go. Um, now, Wendy's going to be our reader. She's going to help me read today. I know you want to undo the top one. Go for Can you it. hear me now? Yeah, we go. Okay. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah and the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So we've got Daniel here and we have this theme yet again. And the th one of the loud themes of Daniel is all about... Say it to me, church. Fasting. Fantastic. So he's talking yet again about fasting. and This is a way that Daniel uh, prepares himself to meet God, to hear God, to listen to God, to experience God. He fasts and prepares himself. He quietens the world down. By regulating what he eats and when he eats and how he eats, he regulates his hunger, not just his physical hunger, but the rest of his body hungers. He kind of quietens that down by fasting. And he kind of says, I want to listen to God. I want to press in. I want to hear from God. So I'm going to quieten down the physical so that my spiritual ears, if you like, start to get louder and more perceptive. Daniel knows that his nation is still in uh, they're still in exile. So Daniel is well over 80 years old. It's you know, estimated that he'd be over 100 by this time. He's gone through, this is the third king that he's been serving. Um, and he's been in exile and gone through all sorts of trials and all sorts of huge things have happened to him. Yet he still remains faithful to God. He still believes that God can rescue his people and take them out of the country where 
they're in exile. They're not in their own home. They're in Babylon and they want to go back to Israel. They want to set up their homes. They want to farm their land. And most importantly, they want to set up their temple. Because for Israel, to be in a place where the temple is, is for them to have the presence of God with them. So when, God is, when the temple is gone, when it's been destroyed for them, it feels like God has left. He's abandoned them. And so they are desperate to find their way back to their home and rebuild their temple. And Daniel says to them, it's important for us to begin a process of listening to God and also petitioning God, speaking to God. So Daniel knows that he can feel this as a sort of momentum for, for Israel to start getting ready to head home. And Daniel knows that this is there, so he begins doing what it is that he can do. So we don't hear of Daniel going up to the king and saying, Hey, king, is it possible for you to let my people go? We don't hear that. We don't hear him start to petition wealthy people. We don't hear him start to petition important people. We don't hear him start protest. Nothing. What does Daniel do? Daniel does exactly what he can do. He gets on his knees and he begins to speak with God. In those difficult situations, in those places where he has very little authority and very little speaking because he's still in exile he's a slave in this place what he does do is what he can control and he gets on his knees he prepares his body physically so that he can spiritually and emotionally meet with father son and spirit with god he can control that he can manage that that's what he's able to do He's able to begin a process of prayer and intercession, which is just another word for praying for something, for his people. So is that they are able to hear from God about the potential and the desire they have to head back to their home and set up their lives again. They want this generation, which wouldn't have known anything about Israel, to be able to have their home back in Israel. So that's what's going on in this chapter. Next. Thanks, Wendy. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and the laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. So I've highlighted some words there. What, what's the words I've highlighted? We. Daniel says we a lot. So we have to remember that he is not a priest. He's not from a priestly line. He's not anyone who has any kind of spiritual authority uh, within his nation that's recognized. He's a, he's a soul man. He's on his own. Yet Daniel begins this process of standing up and praying a prayer of confession. This is really, really interesting because Daniel stands up there and says, Lord, you're great and you're awesome. And he says, we have sinned. We have been wicked. We have turned away from you. We have not listened to you. We, Daniel, didn't do any of these things. Daniel, when he was taken from Israel, was a boy. He was small. He was young. He had no place in the government. He had no place in the leadership. He had no place in any of those things. Daniel didn't do any of the things that he is standing up and saying, we did these things. What is he doing? Daniel is taking responsibility for the sins of his fathers and his forefathers. Daniel's standing up and saying, 
I've prepared myself. I've met with God and I know that we as a nation need to stand up and take responsibility for what we've done in the past and we need to confess our sin. We need to acknowledge our brokenness. We need to stand up and say, we were wrong. We did the wrong thing and we're sorry. And as a nation, we don't want to do it anymore. Daniel didn't even do those things. Daniel wasn't a part of the leadership that did those things. Daniel was so small he wouldn't have even known what was going on at the time. Yet something in him stands up and says, I have a responsibility here. This is very, very challenging. When we start thinking about what our fathers and our forefathers and our grandparents, what they did and the burden that we will be responsible for. And, led, and, and, and even more so, what about the decisions that we're making now that your children and your children's children will take responsibility for? Because you start thinking about this a little bit, even if we talk really basic, the way that we live, the amount of waste that we generate, the amount of power that we use, the, the way that we treat the world that we live in. We are making decisions now that our children and our children's children will bear the brunt of, will bear the fruit of. I wonder how often we think about that. I don't think about that very much. I'm starting to become far more aware of these sorts of things now because I am making decisions that my kids and my kids' kids will bear the fruit of. While we might go, ah, greenies and all that sort of stuff, we're actually choosing something that's going to have a huge impact on, on, on the future generations. Daniel does something really, really interesting. So we, kind of, we look at these things and they're, they're funny and we know full well that in these memes that these animals did the things that they say that they didn't do, right? Anyone who has a dog, they know. Our dog, you rock up to the house and I know when it's dug a hole in my lawn because it will not look me in the eyeballs. Anyway, it's Richard Nixon. The time of Watergate, he's the President of the United States. He stands up there, his men are caught in this hotel. They're, they're planting bugs and they're riling through information from the, the other party and they said, did you know about this? And he says, absolutely not. And he stands up there and in that speech right there, he's pointing his finger and he says, I can be investigated. The American people need to know that their president is not a crook, was the words that he used. Some months later, he stands up and says, I am a crook and I have to leave. He did the wrong thing, but he refused to accept responsibility for it. Another president. This is Bill Clinton who stands there and this is the picture of him waving his finger saying, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky, I did not. And then a few weeks later, he stands up and he says, I've sinned. We kind of, everybody knew that he had done what he'd been accused of doing, yet we were kind of almost accepting of the fact that we kind of just accept that he's not going to own up to it. He's not going to take responsibility for it. We kind of almost have this understanding within our culture that you kind of don't own up to what you do. You kind of don't say, well, we all know you did it, but we know that you don't actually say that you did. Daniel paints for us a profoundly different image. In our culture, we're almost to this point where we, ex where we kind of understand that you are not going to take responsibility for your actions. I mean, even in my lifetime now, 
the way that we run church is very, very different to the way it used to be. If you used to hurt yourself when I was a kid, you hurt yourself. Whereas now if you hurt yourself, it's someone else's responsibility because someone else should have done something so that I didn't. We almost have generated this culture of absolute refusal to accept responsibility for our own actions. Yet this guy, thousands of years ago, draws a line in the sand and he says, we as a people are in a mess and we're in a mess because of our rebellion. We're in a mess because of the decisions we've made. And when they choose not to follow God, it's not just a jealous God and I'm going to punish you thing. When they choose not to follow God, what it does is their whole social structure implodes and falls apart. Because when they follow God as outlined in the Old Testament, they set up a social security system to care for those who are poor. They look after the widow and the orphan and the refugee and the alien. All these people who have no way of living without the help of the state, all of that is put in place when they are following God's laws and God's commands. We call commands, these these outlines he set out. When they say no to that, they push all those vulnerable people aside and they started to focus on only the important, in inverted commas, and the wealthy. And when they did that, their nations fell apart. Their nations fell apart. So them following God has far bigger consequences than just what, what religion they believe, if you like. Following God was a profound influencer on the community of people. Daniel stands up and he says, I wasn't there then. I didn't make those decisions then, but I take responsibility. I, I bear the burden of the decisions of my forefathers. And he stands up and he says, we did the wrong thing and we need to say sorry for it. That's convicting stuff. At the moment in the church worldwide, unfortunately, we are Uh, at this place where we look out at the church worldwide and there is just pain and shame. Unfortunately, we've been charged with, with sort of caring and looking after those who are vulnerable. And the church worldwide, we have this terrible, terrible phenomenon going on at the moment where all these people are stepping forward and saying, while I was in your care, I was mistreated, I was abused. And now people are getting a voice and they're standing up and they're saying, we want something done about this. As a group of pastors in WA, the Baptist Union got us all to come together and we went and sat in this room at Vos and they said, this is how we're going to do this. And we're all sitting there. I'm going to be really honest with you, but we're all sitting there and they're talking about how we're going to address those who have been mistreated, those who have been uh, abused when they've been in our systems. And we're all sitting there and we're going, okay, so what's this going to look like? And then we all start saying, okay, so there's going to be a national redress scheme. Great. Okay, how are we going to pay for that? And the union said, well, you have to contribute as a churches. And we all kind of started going, well, where is that going to come from? Because most of us are struggling to pay our bills as it is. So we're all sitting there in this space and we're thinking, this is no good. Mike Bullard gets up as part of the Baptist Union and he reads us a section from Psalm 69 as leaders were standing there. And part of it, Psalm 69 verse 4 says, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. I'm forced to restore what I did not steal. And the challenge to us was we may not have done those things or been in leadership in those times, but there's part of us, a mandate for us to restore what we did not steal. 
we have to take responsibility for not only our actions, but the actions of those that went before us. And that's going to cost us. It's going to be heavy for us. We brought that to the church and you voted unanimously and quickly that our role was to stand up and take responsibility and to try the best that we can to make right things that we didn't even do. That's us standing up, doing what Daniel didn't say. We did the wrong thing. We will take responsibility. We will take some of the burden for that. And we will do the best we can to try and move forward. That's challenging stuff, isn't it? Because we start thinking, like I said before, you start thinking about the choices you're making now. Our kids and our kids' kids are going to be having to stand there and say, I have to take responsibility for some of the choices that my family made, that my parents made, that my people made. Those things are going to be difficult for us and they're going to be difficult for our children, which should challenge us to draw a line in the sand and start making decisions that we take responsibility for now. We, we start saying, if I do this, there's going to be ongoing consequences. If I choose this way of life, there's going to be ongoing consequences. Are these good consequences? Are these consequences that I'm happy for my children to bear? Because that's what we're being challenged. That's what Daniel's saying. He's standing up saying, I take responsibility for what I didn't do, but I'm part of a people that did, so I have a burden to bear. The call for us is the same. Are we willing to do that now? Because that's what this passage is ultimately challenging us to do. We have to become aware of the lines in the sand that we need to draw so as that we are able to make the best decisions that we can make so as that our children, our children's children, and even those children that we're never going to see are going to live with the consequences of some of our decisions. Not all, but some. So it makes it important for us to be aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because one of the things that you learn as a counsellor really, really fast is that you cannot actually change something that you refuse to acknowledge. So if you're there with a couple or with a person and they have a marital problem or a relationship problem, if someone in the relationship refuses to acknowledge that there's a problem, you can't move forward. You can't fix what you refuse to acknowledge. It's a kind of core principle of how we grow and mature and develop. We cannot change what we do not acknowledge. So I guess what I want to encourage you to do as part of part of our message today is start becoming aware of the decisions and the choices that you make. Start becoming aware of what sort of human being that you're like. What are you actually like to sit in a room with? What are you like to make decisions with? What are you like as a human being? Because those things we need to start taking responsibility for and having a good, honest, solid look at ourselves and saying, do you know what? I know that I manipulate people when I do these things because we know don't we? You know when you're doing the wrong thing. I know. I know when I'm doing the wrong thing. I know when I'm being self-centered. I know when I'm being a pig. I know when I'm being mean. I know when I'm being unkind. And I just hope sometimes that no one else can work it out. But sadly, most of the time they do. I can't change those things until I acknowledge them in myself. 
I can't change those things until I actually say, do you know what? That's what I do when I feel insecure. That's what I do when I feel pushed. That's what I do when I have to do something I don't want to do. Until we can take responsibility for and own it, with very little hope of being able to make better decisions in the future. Amen? Part one, part two, here we go. Let's go, Wendy. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So Daniel's just acknowledged that the sins of his father and his father's father are things that he and his people need to own and take responsibility for now. Hold that right there. Now we're stepping into apocalyptic woo. Okay, so that's where we're going. And what Daniel's saying is he's having this vision, he's having this experience, and he's having this engagement with this angel Gabriel. And this angel Gabriel is saying to Daniel, I'm coming to you with a message. I'm coming to you with a message, but then I was stopped. So here's the picture. I don't know if you can see it very well, but here's a little bit of a crazy, crazy picture But it's a picture of good and bad, light and dark. And it kind of starts laying out a little bit of what he's saying here. He's saying, I was dispatched from God. God heard your prayers once you were fasting and he heard your desires. And then he dispatched me from heaven to come to you with an answer. But in me coming to you with an answer, he says, the prince of Persia. So he's talking about a spiritual sort of demon I guess you would say the prince of Persia stopped me and detained me for 21 days so God sent me I'm coming to you and then in the spiritual realm I'm detained by this other presence this evil presence stops me from getting this message to you for 21 days He goes on to say, then someone else came and helped me so that I was able to fight off the other guy so that I'm eventually able to come and meet with you. So this is sort of like movie script sort of stuff. But it lays out for us a little bit of how Daniel saw and potentially how the world functions. So we have God and God is good, but we also have evil. And it seems to me, if we look at this passage, it seems to me that evil has a sort of a a freedom in some sense. Because what God wanted was for his angel, his messenger, to be able to get a message to Daniel. But evil stopped God doing what God wanted to get done. So you think about that for just a moment. Because God is God and God can do whatever God wants to do. Yet Daniel seems to lay out a slightly different version of that. That God dispatched his angel and then this other force stopped what God wanted to be happening straight away. It's interesting when you think about Jesus' prayer, isn't it? The Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's sort of almost like Jesus knows that there's going to be some sort of resistance. Because this other evil force stopped God's plan happening in the time that he wanted it to happen. 
Because Daniel goes on and speaks about there's a prince of Greece and king of Greece and all these other things. And he's talking about a spiritual presence that has some sort of influence over these different countries. And that what God wants to happen needs to find its way through these things. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, when you start thinking about there is that level of spiritual influence that's going on. You know, we, we often talk about the need to be in prayer for our nation and the need to be in prayer for our leadership and the, nation, the, the need to be in prayer for our families and our people and those sorts of things. That stuff matters. Because if we're in prayer, we're able to help what God wants to get done, get done through this interference from this evil presence. And this is this apocryphal idea here that it's big. And Daniel's trying to convey something through a picture, through a story. But he's, he's speaking some sort of truth about how the world functions and how the world works. But eventually the message gets through and then Gabriel says, and we're going back and Michael's going to come with me and we're going to whoop it up. We're going to fight off these guys and we're going to make stuff happen for you. That's sort of where he calls us and challenges us to be thinking a little bit bigger and a bit broader about how spiritually things function and things work. So how do we take that into the New Testament? Because Paul talks about it as well. And we, we did have these things read out to us before, so I won't, I won't read them again. But he talks about being aware... I'll just read the first bit. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. In the older language was principalities and powers. He's talking about, Paul's talking about what Daniel was speaking about. That when we try and do what God wants us to do, there is opposition and that opposition will do the very best it can to stop us doing what it is that God has called us to do. Paul says we have to become aware of that and we have to take the precautions that God has given us. And he speaks about the armor of God and the way that Eugene Peterson puts that. In the message, he says, take all the steps you can, every weapon that God has given you. And he says, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. These things are our weapons. These things are the things that we have. Just like Daniel stood there and went to a position of fasting and prayer in order to engage God for the sins of his people. These are the same things that you and I have now praying for our families, praying for our nation, praying for our church, praying for Australia, praying for the world. These things are what we can do to combat those principalities and powers because we have a role to play, whether or not you're in leadership or whether or not you're an average everyday person because that's what we are being told here. You have a role to play and you are able to do something. He says at the end, pray hard and long. Pray hard and long and pray for your brothers and sisters and keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Let's pray. Father God, Daniel is such a big, big book. We're challenged and called to take responsibility. We're challenged and called to be aware of even those things that we haven't done, but maybe those who've gone before us have done. Father, there is a level of responsibility that we must assume for the choices that other people make. And there will be a level of responsibility that our children will take for the decisions that we make. Give us the courage 
to stand tall. Give us the courage to be aware of the decisions that were made and the consequences that we have now. And I pray, Lord, that we will be aware of the decisions that we make and the consequences that we leave. Help us not be ignorant to the spiritual dimension, to the spiritual oppression that goes on. God, would you give us uh, an awareness like Daniel had? Would you give us an awareness of when we are pushing against something that is not just someone else's choice? When we are pressing into evil, when we are pressing into that force that would try and stop the messages from God getting through? And would you help us to remember that you have given us weapons, that you have given us the ability to push back. You have given us the ability to push through the oppression, to push through the evil and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to see how vitally important this is in the way that we live our own lives, in the way that we engage with our struggles, in the way that we engage for our nation, in the way that we pray for those who are in leadership. Help us to see the importance of it and the vital, the vital role that we have to play, whether we're in leadership or not. We are so crucial to praying and to setting in place things so that what God wants to get done gets done. Give us peace, give us challenge, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.